Well, welcome to this session with Grace Point Church and welcome to our Grace Point family as well as guests who are viewing this uh, message here today. We are thankful you are with us today. The past few sessions as we've been working our way through the book of Colossians in the New Testament, uh, we have been talking about knowing God's will and for many Christians it seems like uh, knowing God's will is a mystery and they take it to some extremes and we often only apply it to uh, major events in our lives, whether it's uh, the change of uh, employment or uh, who to marry or even some extremes, people will drive around a block 20 times and say if it's God's will, he'll open up a parking spot and sometimes it borders on the ridiculous. And yet <clears throat> we know that God's will is declared for us in his word. And we've been looking at Colossians and we know that the Apostle Paul's prayer at the beginning of this little letter was that we would know God's will. Listen again to these words, follow along in your copy of God's word. In Colossians chapter one, there's a prayer of intercession, a great prayer here. In verse nine, the Apostle Paul writes, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so if you've been with us, uh, you know that uh, chapters one and two are all about what Jesus Christ has done. The Apostle Paul is writing about the supremacy and preeminence of Jesus Christ because the false teachers were invading the church at Colossae and the Apostle Paul was combating false teaching that was entering the church and, uh, and uh, deflecting them from the preeminence of Jesus Christ. In chapters three and four, we have the application of the truth about who and what Christ is. And it answers the question of what is God's will for my life or how then should I live? And we've been looking at this passage at the, uh, chapter three and four and even though I covered these verses that we're going to cover today, actually chapter four, verses two through six, uh, last session, I want to go back and just delve into them a little deeper. We kind of just did a survey of these verses in our last session. So we want you uh, to really understand what is going on here. It's interesting. In uh, the first two chapters, uh, there are uh, relatively few imperative verbs. Now an imperative verb uh, carries the, the weight of a command or it conveys the issue of an exhortation. Uh, beginning in chapter three up through chapter four verse six, there are 20 imperative verbs or 20 commands. And that's why we say this is God's will for your life for every believer in Jesus Christ. Remember this letter is written to those who have believed in Jesus Christ for everlasting life. Uh, also known as Christians. And so the Apostle Paul wants us to know uh, God's will for our lives. And we have covered in chapter three and beginning in chapter four uh, about uh, the things that we should give attention to. Now remember an imperative verb or a command in scripture is not a suggestion, it is uh, a command. It is what God's will for our lives is. And so what Christ has done and what Christians should do in chapters three and four. And so we come to this chapter four. And remember in our last session, we talked about different relationships, especially family relationships. And uh, wives are addressed, 
Husbands are addressed, children are addressed, <clears throat> fathers are addressed here, uh, and then slaves and masters, or in our context, employees and employers, down through chapter 4, verse 2. And each one of these individuals is given a command on how to live out God's life. Now, this is a prime example of the saying that all of Scripture is written for us, but not all of it is written to us. And for instance, in chapter uh, 3, verse 18, it says, Wives, be subject to your husbands. Now, that's written to wives. That's not written to husbands. It's not written to children. It's not written <coughs> to employers and employees. Also, husbands love your wives. That's written to husbands. It's for all of us, but it's written to husbands specifically and children and fathers and masters and slaves, etc. as we go through, as we went through that passage last week. But I wanted to re-examine uh, verses 2 through 6 in chapter 4 of Colossians. And before I read that for us, let me pray, or I will pray this morning or today. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day of life. Thank you that you are the Almighty God, that in your sovereignty and the working out of your providence, you are carrying out all things for your glory and for the good of your people. And Lord, even though we live in what we consider to be very adverse times, this is nothing new to the church throughout history, and uh, we recognize that there are great opportunities also involved in this. And Lord, I thank you that you're with your church, that you love your church, that you love each individual. And Lord, I pray today that we would learn from your word, that we would be teachable, and that we would want to know more about your will for each one of our individual lives, and then by extension, uh, collectively as a community of faith, that we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ today. Thank you for your grace and mercy in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And so how do we live before a watching world? That is one of the primary questions the Apostle Paul is talking about here today. How we live as believers. Uh, it's actually good to remember that one of the uh, secrets of the Christian life can be put in one sentence. In the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And uh, in chapter 5 or 16 of that book. And so how do we live an extraordinary life in very ordinary circumstances? And so we need to focus on that and focus on what God has us to do. And so with these commands that we've looked at, we come to two more in chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. I'll read this passage for us today. Follow along in your copy of Scripture. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up for, to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Verse 5, Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Amen and amen. Notice in that first command, devote yourselves to prayer. In verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. There's an apocryphal story uh, which comes from uh, centuries ago, actually, about an angel named Raphael, Raphael the archangel. 
And this apocryphal story, in other words, it's not true, but it does have a principle and a teaching to it. And uh, Raphael the Archangel says this about prayer. I am Raphael, one of the seven archangels who pass in and out of the presence of God. I bring him the prayers of all who pray and those who don't even know that they're praying. Some prayers I hold out as far from me as my arm will reach the way a woman holds a dead mouse by the tail when she removes it from the kitchen. Some prayers are like flowers, are almost too beautiful to touch, and others so aflame that I'd be afraid of their setting me on fire if I weren't already more like fire than, than I am like anything else. These are prayers of such power that you might almost say they carry me than the other way around. The way a bird with outstretched wings is carried higher and higher on the back of wind. There are prayers so apologetic and shamefaced and half-hearted that they all but melt away in my grasp like sad little flakes of snow. And then some prayers are simply just very boring. That's the apocryphal story of Raphael the Archangel. So how do we live in a world that is watching and needs desperately to know Jesus Christ? Paul is reminding us that we are identified with an ex extraordinary Christ who has absolute supremacy. The Apostle Paul is reminded of us in chapters 1 and 2. He is called upon believers, just ordinary people like you and I, to live their ordinary lives in an extraordinary way. How do we respond in our daily circumstances? How do you live today in a world given over to false values and much conflict, shame, and degrading practices? How do we live in the midst of this fallen culture? How should we live? These are Paul's words. Pray, devote yourselves to prayer, he says. Uh, this, is an this is a challenging assignment. And the Apostle Paul is letting us know that there is assistance available, that we are not alone in this world of temptation and deception. Strength and perspective are always available by devoting ourselves to prayer. And Paul, in this prayer, this, this command that we devote ourselves to prayer, uh, exhorts the believer to pray with diligence, with awareness, and with gratitude. Look at verse 2. It's talking about communicating with God, communicating with God, which is the wonderful blessing of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ in the church age. We are elsewhere called the priesthood of believers. We don't need a priest above us, a, 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 another man or another woman to go before God for us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a believer priest and you can go directly to the throne room of God in prayer and communicate with him. In verse two, we see devote yourselves to prayer. Uh, that word devote is in a command form and it means diligence, it means to be busy with or engaged with or to be devoted to in this. It's actually a mark of the early church. In Acts chapter 1 verse 14, he talks about all of these who were gathered were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 6, 4, when they were getting ready to choose the early deacons in the early church, uh, the apostles said, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. That is the two primary responsibilities of the apostles and of elders in the church here today is to de devotion to prayer and ministry of the word. 
In Romans chapter 12, verse 12, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. That could be your life verse during a pandemic. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. I was thinking a little bit about the difference between devotion and discipline. Uh, all of us are called to be disciplined in our lives and discipline uh, is, a, is a quality that is important if you're going to move your way through life. And yet it seems like in uh, the text here, he didn't use that word discipline, did he? He used a word that's translated devotion or to devote ourselves. And so we are to be devoted. And I think of devotion as a love relationship. Uh, in a marriage, uh, one's, one partner is devoted to the other partner to the exclusion of all others. And it's a love relationship or should be. And uh, the Apostle Paul is challenging us as believers and calling us to be in a love relationship with Jesus Christ that we want to talk to God the Father, to God the Son. And we want to please him in all respects. And so devotion is a critical component. That way it takes away that, well, I have to go prayer, go, go pray, I, I, I have to do this. It'd be, you know, that kind of Christian living is dutiful and it's not necessarily uh, springs out of a life of devotion. In this verse, in uh, verse two, it says, devoting yourselves to prayer. And then secondly, this idea of awareness, keeping alert in it, keeping alert in it. It's the idea of awareness. There's alertness in prayer. And that word means to be watchful, keep your eyes open in a metaphorical sense, in the sense that we need to be aware of what's going on around us in our lives personally, as well as in the lives of those we're praying for and to be aware, not only devoted to the idea of communicating with our God, but alert in and watchful in what is going on around us. The third thing is gratitude. Notice in verse two at the end, be alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Uh, thanksgiving is a preventative to a bitter spirit, to a demanding spirit. When we are thankful for what God has done and what he is doing in our lives and what he will do in our lives, we can be devoted and alert and then thankfulness should mark our prayers. And Paul requests that uh, not only this, he goes on to expand in verses three and four, not only communication, vertical communication with God, but now a horizontal conversations with others. We have the privilege of communicating with God anytime we want, and we can read his word about his will for our lives, but then there's this aspect of this horizontal relationship to have conversation with other people. And the Apostle Paul is requesting that believers pray for him. Look at verse three. He says, praying at the same time for us as well. Of course, Paul was accompanied by Timothy and Epaphras. And in the closing paragraphs of this book, of this letter, we're gonna see a number of other uh, fellow uh, ministers that were working with the Apostle Paul, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open for us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. So he prays for three things, wants us to pray for three things here. Prayer for open doors for the word. In other words, for opportunities, for a sensitivity to those around us who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. 
and then prayer for proclamation of the mystery of Christ. In other words, that we would not only see the open door, the relationship, the opportunity to share Christ with somebody, but that we would uh, proclaim the mystery of Christ. Now, what's this mystery thing all about? Well, in Colossians, uh, the Apostle Paul has used this word, I think, three different times or four different times. But the mystery of Christ is the revelation. A mystery is not a, a scary thing, but it was previously unknown truth. Uh, in the Old Testament, they didn't know exactly, okay, they couldn't see the mystery of the church because it was not revealed to them back in Israel's day. But now it has been revealed. And so this mystery, Paul says in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations has now been manifested to his saints. Remember, believers are addressed as saints, those set apart under the holiness of God. Verse 27 of chapter 1, to whom God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, and here's the identity of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so prayer for the proclamation that the fact that Jesus Christ can come into our lives, provide us with salvation, provide us with a future and a hope, and he is the God-man. He is the supreme one, the preeminent one. 1 Timothy 3.16, where Paul wrote to young Timothy, he said, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. Here's that word again. He who was revealed in the flesh, he's talking about Jesus Christ. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. Identification of the divine nature and attributes of Jesus Christ. So prayer for open doors, prayer for the proclamation of Jesus Christ, and thirdly, prayer for clarity in speech. Look again at verse 4. Look again at verse 4. That I may be able to clear, uh, that I may make it clear the way I ought to speak. Remember, Paul said he's imprisoned. In other words, he is in prison for the cause of Christ, and he's literally in prison in Rome, some 1,000 miles to the west of Colossae. And so he prays for clarity in speech. Isn't it interesting, the Apostle Paul, you wouldn't think that he would need uh, a prayer for clarity of speech. He seems very clear in all the letters he's written and uh, a powerful apostle for the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet he, is no, he knows he's dependent on God's enablement uh, for open doors, for proclamation of Christ, and for clarity in his speech. So we have communication vertically with God, and secondly, we have conversations with others to pray for that open door, for the proclamation, for the clarity. All of us can pray for that, and for our individual lives, and especially, I would ask you to pray for those who have the responsibility and the privilege of communicating the word of truth uh, as I'm doing here today, to pray that we would be have open doors, that we would proclaim with clarity the mystery of Jesus Christ. And so prayer as communication with God, requesting these things. And now there's an exhortation about our conduct towards those who are outside of the family of faith. In other words, outside of Christians, conduct towards others. Remember, devote ourselves to prayer in verse 2. Verse 5 says, conduct yourselves in wisdom towards outsiders. Notice that the conduct follows the devotion. Oftentimes, evangelicals get it backwards. We expect people's conduct 
to be righteous and holy and good, and then maybe they'll be devoted to Jesus Christ. In fact, we often think of the Christian life that way. And yet the Apostle Paul calls us to devotion, first of all, or the great love for Jesus, and then our conduct will follow. And so that's what he is commanding us here. Make sure your conduct is with wisdom towards outsiders. And outsiders here means those who do not know Jesus Christ as their savior. We are to have wise conduct. Conduct yourselves with wisdom. And wisdom is knowledge applied. There are a lot of smart people, intellectuals, who don't have any wisdom. They have a lot of knowledge, but they don't know how to apply it to their day-to-day -day lives. We often call them the absent-minded professors. Well, we as believers in Jesus Christ are to have wisdom, which God gives us. We read through the book of Proverbs, a book about wisdom, and we are to have wisdom towards outsiders, wise conduct towards them, <clears throat> making the most of the opportunity, the Apostle Paul says. Each one of these opportunities to speak about Jesus Christ, we need to make the most of. And one of the things he doesn't say here, but is implied here is that we have conversations with outsiders, but we listen. I think one of the faults of evangelical Christians is we're not good listeners to where people are at. And so we need to have good conduct in wisdom. Secondly, we need to have gracious speak, uh, speech towards outsiders, gracious speech. Look at the first part of verse six. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt. And uh, gracious speech we need towards outsiders, always gracious. And grace is unmerited favor. And you know when you hear somebody who speaks graciously to you. They may be saying some very hard things or things that we have a, a struggle with, but they can say it winsomely and with great grace and with great kindness, gracious speech towards outsiders. And so as believers in Christ, as we have conversations with those who do not know Jesus, perhaps their extended family members or in your own uh, nuclear family or coworkers or classmates, or even people we meet on the street or in the coffee shop, to be gracious in our speech towards them, and especially on social media. Isn't it interesting that we think we can be very ungracious on social media, and God doesn't let us off the hook. This is about all of our communication. So wise conduct, gracious speech, the end of verse six, knowledgeable response to all. Look at verse six, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how to, you should respond to each person. It's very individualistic here that we would know how to respond. Each individual has different needs, different stories that we would know. We need the knowledge, we need the wisdom to know how to respond. And I think it begins with listening to others. The final word is be gracious, be gracious. It says our, our, our speech full of grace, seasoned with salt. Sometimes we think of salty speech as profane language. And that is not what is meant here, by the way. It means conversation that is flavored with attractive ideas so that listeners are stimulated and their curiosity is aroused. When you think of salt in the first century, it was a preservative, it was a flavor enhancer. And so when you think of your speech, is it giving people a flavor, a good flavor? Does it enhance the flavor of their lives? And is it a preservative? Is it a preservation in the sense of relationship and a leading to the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Uh, I've always appreciated, there was a pastor some years ago and a public speaker who traveled widely, Ron Ritchie, 
and uh, he would travel a lot on airplanes, and I always appreciated his story of what he would do. When he was on an airplane, he always had a seat made he didn't know, and they would introduce each other, and uh, he found out in his experience, as I do too, that if somebody says, uh, what do you do for a living? Uh, if I happen to respond, well, I'm a minister or I'm a preacher, the curtain descends immediately and the conversation is ended for the most part. Uh, they'll try to be gracious to me, but basically they don't want to hear anything else, uh, so, which is too bad. But Ron Ritchie found a way to get around this. Uh, when he was asked what he does for a living, he replies, I'm a teacher. And of course, obviously, <clears throat> his seatmate would say, uh, what do you teach? And he says, I teach people about Jesus Christ if they want to listen. And then he would put the onus back on his, uh, the, the questioner. He said, do you want to listen or don't you? If you don't want, that's fine with me. But if you want to listen, I want to tell you about someone who is very important to me, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Ron Ritchie reports that that has opened many doors for him. That is graceful conversation. Uh, talk, talking with uh, like it's seasoned with salt. It's pungent, stimulating, and follows the suggestion of the apostle on how to live in a very confused world. It is gracious. Oftentimes we think that witnessing for Jesus Christ is like having a load of Bibles in a dump truck and we back up to the person and dump the whole load right on their head. And uh, none of us like that in any other situation. So to be gracious, seasoned with salt, uh, we need to begin at home and there move out into life, putting our old ways and putting on the new life that Jesus Christ has given and provided for us, living graciously, sen sensitively, and attractively and winsomely. And that is uh, the passage here today for us. God's will for our lives, for the believer in Jesus Christ, is to be devoted in prayer, to prayer, with all alertness and gratitude and conducting our lives with grace towards outsiders. And that includes all of our contacts, whether it's on social media, at a store, at a business, in our own families. The truth about spirituality, which many people misunderstand, is that it's obedience in the ordinary, by the ordinary means. Genuine spiritual living is not for a favored few as the false teachers were telling the church at Colossae and as people tell us today. It's about service to Christ who has supremacy. It is about loving him, being devoted to him. Uh, so does a supreme Lord Jesus Christ use only special people? Of course not. The truth about spirituality and service is that they're both open to ordinary people like you and like me. The earliest Christian converts, some early Christian converts to Christianity in Africa uh, were earnest and devoted and regular in their prayer times to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, early missionaries reported that they had separate spots in the forest where they would go and pour their hearts out to God. And these numerous paths to these private little chapels in the forest were well-worn as believers walked over them every day. When anyone began, began to lag in their prayer time and uh, forget to go out there, it was soon apparent to others before long those that failed to pray would be gently reminded, brother, the grass grows on your path. The grass grows on your path. So brother or sister in Christ, is the grass growing on your path? Or are you devoted to prayer, conducting your life out of the love for the Lord Jesus Christ today? 
As a benediction this morning, I want to give you a benediction out of the book of Hebrews. It's not normally thought of as a benediction. Remember, a benediction is not wishful thinking or just a tradition or a habit that we do, but it is really a blessing to you for the days ahead. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Listen as I send you out with this benediction. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen and amen. Go in God's grace and mercy.